There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back. It is Friday night, Raider Nation. That means it is time for Silver and Black tonight, Southern California's only all Raiders talk show here on the Mightier 1090, your home for SoCal Sports Talk. Hi, everybody. I am Scott Cobranson, and I'm joined by my co-host. He is the senior NFL writer at Bleacher Report. His name is Maurice Moten. We call him Mo. Mo, we're back here after what was a disaster of a week 14 for the Las Vegas Raiders. The Kansas City Chiefs debacle. Mo, it's hard to know where to start with this thing, so we'll just jump in and talk about the fact that this team, uh, after all that they've been through, continues to have a second-half slide, continues to be dominated. Here's some numbers, Mo, and I want to get your reaction to these. First of all, hello, Mo. How's everyone doing out there? <laughs> Start off with the doom and gloom, and then introduce me and just throw me into the fire. That's right. right. That's right. But but here's, here's what I want to talk about. So the Raiders uh, are the first team to be outscored by 66 points by an opponent in a season since the Bills were outscored by 77 by the Patriots in 2007 it's the most lopsided loss in the Raiders history as far as the Chiefs are concerned the 48 to 9 loss from Sunday of course is is just unbelievable and 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 the worst inside its rivalry uh Mo this continues to be a season and and you look at it that just defies all kind of conventional knowledge. The Chiefs, now, we all know the Chiefs. We talked about this, Mo, last week. To beat the Chiefs, the teams have gone to, when they when the opponents have gone to the too high safety, right? Now, if you look at the numbers, the Chiefs have only faced too high safeties less than 40% of the time in two games this season. So the, the NFL knows when you play Patrick Mahomes, you go with the too high safety. Okay, and the only time the Chiefs have faced it less than 40 percent of the time, guess both times against the Raiders, 28 percent in week 10 and 24 percent in week 14. Mo, can you understand, number one, what this coaching staff was thinking going against this team? And then number two, what this 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 roster is thinking and how they came out again, flat, uninspired. And we'll get to the logo stomp later, but how they came out like they did against their biggest rival in their biggest game of the year thus far. You know what? It's funny. I was listening to Gus Bradley today, and I'm surprised. Well, not today, but a couple of days ago. And I'm surprised no one asked him about that. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't a question about that. And I'm wondering, you know, as you mentioned, you rolled up the stats. The numbers are out there. A lot of teams are now, to counter Patrick Mahomes, they're, they're playing two high safety and forcing him basically to go underneath and drive the length of the field, hoping that he makes a mistake, throws an interception, which had, which had happened in the middle of the season. It was happening up until they, you know, unless they play the Raiders, that happens. But, and Gus Bradley goes, you know, goes against the green, mm-hmm. sticks with his cover three. And I think there are two things going on here. One, a lot of people saying that he's stubborn. That's why he has to go next year. Can't keep Gus Bradley around, right? 
two, the other part of it is, do you really want Jonathan Abram as a, as a high safety? <laughs> that that's the problem. That's the problem. And yeah. and I said this. I said this during the draft, the 2019 draft, when they drafted Jonathan Abram. I, I was like, I like his spirit. I like his passion. But the way the NFL is right now, with these spread offenses and tight ends able to catch out of the back, uh, tight ends able to catch and running backs able to catch out of the backfield, you both your safeties need to be able to cover. If you have a safety out there and his weakness or his he's not really good in coverage or deep coverage or at least in space, you have a problem. But you know, at the time, a lot of people were like, no, but he's an old school Raider and he's physical and that's yeah, he sets the tone and yeah, that's great. And I'm like, yeah, that's great, but. That's not the way the game's played anymore. It's not 1976. <laughs> you know, Jonathan Abram would have been great, you know, 40 years ago. But it's it's not that anymore. You got to be able to be out in space, be, sometimes be on an island with a tight end and cover. And I think part of the reason why the Raiders didn't play too high is because they don't really believe in Jonathan Abram back there. And as you saw against against the Chiefs in the first minute, he gets, he gets mossed by a backup running back. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of get it. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. This 48-9 to loss, 48-9. to If In case you didn't hear the score, it was 48-9. to um, <laughs> The Raiders, first of all, offense, again, uh, as the term you used last week, crapped the bed in the first half. Uh, and on the first drive, Josh Jacobs fumbles. This is the guy who called out his teammates saying that they weren't focused going on offense the week previous week. Josh Jacobs comes out and just drops the ball. I mean, there's no other way to look at it. Uh, gets knocked out. Uh, they, they have five turnovers on the day, Mo. Patrick Mahomes, 20 of 24. 20 of 24, 258, two touchdowns. Uh, and the Raiders just can't do this. Again, four of 11. Four of 11 on third down. And um, they just can't. I mean, anytime you turn the ball over five times in an NFL game, unless you're playing another terrible team, the chances that you survive that are next to nothing. The Raiders now have a single-digit chance of making the playoffs. I, I, I love Raiders fans. They're the best fans in the world, most of them. But when I keep hearing talk about, hey, you can win at Cleveland this week and, and get back in the playoff hunt, don't, don't even think about it. It's just not worth it. Uh, but, but Mo, this is, we want to get to the bigger issue here, and we'll talk a little bit about Derek Carr, everybody's favorite subject in a second. But I want to talk about the Raiders in this organization. I wrote a piece after the game that appeared up on Monday or Tuesday. I forgot what day it was. But I said, listen, this organization lacks leadership at all levels. So you have the Raiders. You have Yannick Ngakwe, who's had a very good season, you know, to trying to come back and get back into the rhythm of being one of the league's top defensive ends. He's got eight or nine sacks. I forget which one. But he comes out. He leads his team. This is a team who's lost four of their last five, their head coach, their top receiver, their president of their organization, their entire front office business staff. And this guy decides it's a good time to do a logo stuff. Now, I know a lot of players and a lot of the state-run media who refused to criticize the team, it had nothing to do with the loss. It's not really a big deal. Nobody thought it was a big deal. It is a big deal because what it shows is a lack of leadership, a situational leadership. Mo, if I go in and I'm behind, you know, we all have situations in our life where we might be struggling. The last thing you do when you're struggling is go out and make a show out of something and show bravado, even though it was a little understated. It wasn't like they were going out and dancing on the logo, but they, it was enough for the teams to notice. It was enough for the media to notice. And, of course, the media didn't really ask the question except for one last question to Derek Carr after the game, which incensed me. But, but what do you think of that? I mean, that's what I think. I don't think there's leadership on the field. 
I think some of the players on the field are kind of run amok and they're trying to lead, but they're not necessarily doing it in the right way. You have an interim coach, good guy, not the right guy. You have a GM clearly not fully in control and you have a team owner who doesn't speak up. I mean, he goes to the Super Bowl press conference and the announcement this week, which is great and all that stuff. But Mo, I'm just blown away at the lack of judgment from the people inside the organization. I think you said it in part of your question right there. There are a lot of people in leadership positions trying to lead for the first time in, in their careers or in recent time. You start with, as you said, Mike Mayock. For the most part, John Gruden steered that ship. You know, right, right. Now, it's been, now it's been a couple of months since Mike Mayock's been the guy, but it's only been a couple of months. Uh, you talked about Rich Basaccia, who's an interim head coach now, never had a head coaching job in the NFL, pretty much a special teams coordinator. He's trying to feel things out now as leader of a football team. Then we get to Yannick Ngakwe and and in his uh logo talk for the Chiefs game. He's never really been a captain of a team. He's been no. a good player, but as far as a captain of a team, that's never been him. Uh, of course, now he's played under Gus Bradley, so he has a little bit more sway with what he says and what he does in the locker room. But to me, that was just uh, a misstep in judgment on what how to fire up his teammates. I get what he was trying to do. Mm -hmm. But that just wasn't the way to do it. Now, I know some of the media has tried to soften it and say, well, a lot of the Chiefs players didn't know. But I'm sure some of them did. I'm sure some of them did. Some sure. of them saw them. If you're out in the field and you're, you know, you're eyeing your opponent, you see a group of, of, of guys on the other team gathering in midfield and, and you look at that and go, well, that's motivation. If You know, if you didn't have the motivation coming into that rivalry game, that kind of adds on to it. And I just want to say really quick, even Rich Passaccia, they asked him about, that that it, uh, that situation and he said you know maybe i have to stay on the field a little longer to make sure that this isn't, that doesn't happen so that tells you that <laughs> a lot of guys in that locker room and even based on Carr's answer he didn't really agree with that so that tells you there was a problem with what they did there no and, and i specifically in in the piece i wrote earlier in the week i called out Derek Carr because i thought that was weak for an eight-year veteran quarterback who is your team's captain he's the longest tenured raider on the roster when asked the question, said, hey, well, I stand behind my guys. Okay, so so just like you stood behind Henry Ruggs, who drove drunk and killed somebody. Now, I'm not, again, that's fine. I got the point when he made that point, too. It's like, you know, Henry Ruggs is a human being, made a terrible mistake, cost somebody their lives, but I'm going to be there for him. I didn't disagree with that message. I thought it was a very nice message. And as myself, being someone who's a Christian, I appreciated it. At the same time, with this situation, Derek Carr copped out. Copped out. That was a cop-out answer. I stand behind my guys. No, you can stand behind your guys and say, hey, listen, you know what? I understand what Yannick was trying to do, and, and I love that my guys are trying to get fired up. Not the way I would have done it, and I would have gone about it a different way. I don't think it was the right, the right look for us coming in here. That's all you had to say. He didn't say it, though, and this is why I also further said that it's time for an amicable divorce with Derek Carr. It's good for him. He deserves better, and the Raiders need to move on as well. I'm just blown away that the, the excuse machine, the constant, well, I'm not going to criticize anybody. You know what? Somebody needs to stick a boot up somebody's ass, Mo, and nobody seems willing to do it. Yeah, I, you know what? I, two things here. I wasn't surprised about Carr's answer because this is what he does when he yeah. gets to the podium. He doesn't throw anybody under the bus. He, you can go into a game with Derek Carr, and I can go out there, and I can fumble the ball five times, and Derek Carr will say, you know what? Mo had a decent game. They just got away <laughs> from him a little bit. You know, he did some other things. Really, Carr's going to cover for you if you mess up or if you don't have a good game because he's not going to say anything negative about you. He, yeah. He's doing it with even 
Greg Olson. He said, Greg Olson is doing a great job. The offense is doing a great job. And we know they're not because we know in five of the last six games, the Rays have failed to score 17 points. So you're not doing a great job. But as far as Carr is concerned, his leadership, and I said this on Twitter, I said, Carr is good when you have a crisis and you need someone to show compassion. Yes. And you heard that after the Henry Ruggs fatal car accident tragedy there. Yes. He was great for that situation. But when you need someone to grab some teammates by that collar and say, look, we're not doing this or this is what we're doing. Derek Carr is lukewarm on that. And I, I just feel like he's a leader in someone. I said this on Twitter, too. There are different levels to being a leader and there are different types of leaders. And again, when once there, when there's strife and there's crisis, he's good for that. But when it comes to authoritarian and discipline, not so not so strong in that area. So that's why you need a strong head coach. That's why you may need a strong leader on the defense side of the ball to kind of get that locker room together. But let me ask you this, Mo. Um, saying that, and, and that was put very, very nicely. I, I appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, to be a quarterback, to be the captain, the most tenured person on the roster, maybe you can go about it your own way. But don't you need to at certain times – call stuff out you don't have to call out people per se but how hard would it have been to say hey listen you know what team was trying to get fired up um and and i'm gonna take that on you know what i should have spoke up i should have said something that was not the right thing to do we don't need to give a team that's kicked our ass the last uh five out of six meetings we don't need to give them extra motivation and isn't that when a guy like Carr, as a quarterback in the nfl quarterback driven league should step up and prevent it if he can. Now, if, if, if he didn't know it was going to happen and he was somewhere else on the field and it just went on, that's fine. But doesn't he say something and say, hey, listen, you know what? We're going to talk about that in the locker room and talk about why it's better not to. I mean, that's the thing I don't understand. I don't see Aaron Rodgers standing for that. I don't see Russell Wilson standing for that. I don't see even a young Josh Allen even standing for something like that. And he's a young, more inexperienced guy. That's the question I have. It just comes back to leadership. It's not that Derek Carr is not a good quarterback and have such great qualities, the ones you mentioned. But, man, if I want to go out and win, is that a guy who's going to get us there? See, that's the thing. When I watched that postgame presser, you could see Derek Carr almost literally bite his tongue. Like Mm -hmm. He wanted to say more, but he didn't. And I think you said this to me privately, to me and Evan Grove, who's host of Just Poppy Podcast. Um, Sometimes you... You need someone to call guys out in the media. Not necessarily throw them under the bus, but you need a little bit of fire. Because if you don't have that fire, guys are just going to do things all willy-nilly, all wanton. And you know you know, the, the captain of the team or the leader of the team isn't going to say much to the media. Now, I'm not a big fan of, of airing dirty laundry publicly. Right, right. But in that situation, I think what you just said was the right thing to say. Like, okay, I, you know, we're going to talk about that. We're going to address that in the locker room. And I think the media would have understood what that meant. Derek Carr wasn't on board with that. But to say, yeah, I'm just, you know, whatever the guys say, that's what I'm doing. And that sounds like, and a lot of people point this out, that doesn't sound like a leader. It just sounds mm-hmm. like someone who goes along with the flow and the Rangers that, that's not something that they need right now. They need a leader that's going to step to the forefront and lead. Right, because what that implies is that if your guys want to do something and you don't think it's productive or you don't think it's additive to help your team win, you're going to stick by them anyway just because they're your guys? Like, there's, there's a difference there. There's a difference between being loyal where you're all joined together in a common goal, which in this case should be to win the Super Bowl, right? But to go out and just say, I'm just, I got their back because they're my guys. Well... <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You, you, it's about winning, right? I know Rich Bisacci has said it's not always about winning, but we know it is. Okay? And so you have to be able to do that. And I just think, I mean, again, I, I was so disappointed in that. 
and I the, the the idea that they need to go their separate ways is separate from that, but it's part of it in that it's a reason why I think he needs a change. He's been in this dysfunction for too long, Derek Carr. And I think it I look, I I would feel much better for him to go try somewhere else, maybe where he goes where it's not just a complete cluster all the time where you make seven playoffs in 30 years, right? Or that you've made one since 2011 or that you have the most games just behind the, the Texans and tied with the Jaguars uh, with games with only 16 points or fewer this year, right? I mean, I think it's just good for both sides. But, Mo, you look at all of that that happened against Kansas City and how just you, – you'd like to forget it, but you can't because it was that bad. Um, this team, now you go to Cleveland tomorrow on Saturday, the doubleheader NFL Saturday, and we're going to talk to uh, Daryl Ryder from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland coming up after the break. Um, they're going to Cleveland, ravaged by COVID, but then you have the Chargers still, right? You have the Indianapolis still. You have some tough games on the road. What, what, do, what do Raider fans that are at their wits' end and just want this team to win, what can they see in the remainder of this season to give them some hope as they head into yet another rebuild? Wow, that's a tough task because there's not a lot of hope out there right now, I'll tell you. But um, what I think they would need to see is, and I think the main thing right now is seeing improvement from that offensive line. Ah. And I think that's important because if they do see improvement in these last four weeks, then you can kind of say, okay, going into the next season, we, we, we had four new primary stars. Denzel Good went down. Richie Cognino never came back to play. But you know what? We saw some progress late in the season, so we can keep this unit together and expect more from a young group going forward. Now, if you don't see improvement from that offensive line, then you start thinking, okay, what do we do about the right side of our line? Do we keep Alex Leatherwood at right guard? Do we move him back to right tackle? You know, Brandon Parker probably not going to be back. What do we do at left guard? John Simpson is meh at left guard. He's not to me. He's a low, low level starter. If you can, if you can upgrade left guard, you do it. So those three positions, particularly left guard, right guard, right tackle, you have to figure out what you're going to do there for next year and for whoever is, the quarterback is going to be. So the other thing I will say too is, what are you going to do about the running back situation? Is mm. is Josh Jacobs going to get that fifth year option or not? Because if he's not, then do you think about trading him in the off season? Yeah, and I think that's where I know we, we saw reports earlier on that uh, Mark Davis is going to make the decision about Derek Carr. That's going to be one of his tough decisions. I think Josh Jacobs is right up there, too, uh, along with the head coach and perhaps GM. I think most likely GM now that I look at it, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, Mo, I, th I think there's a lot of questions there, what they're going to have to do. Uh, and, and as much as I've liked Josh Jacobs in the past, it's just for all the reasons we've discussed week after week on this show, it's just not he's not reliable. Uh, your best uh, ability is availability, and it's just not there. And when he is there, uh, there's there's holes he's not hitting. Yes, the offensive line definitely has something to do with that. But that offensive line, I know Lincoln Kennedy went nuts this week on a couple of those guys, including Brandon Parker, calling them awful and terrible, and he can't watch it anymore. So there's clearly some some things that have to happen there. Uh, all right, we are up against our first break. We're going to put that Kansas City game to bed. I mean, Mo, we have to, right? That's just... It's just, I'm so tired of talking. All week it's been just a horror show. But anyway, we're going to put that aside. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Daryl Ryder, longtime uh, covering the Browns. He's at the Fan 92.3 in Cleveland. We're going to talk to him about 20 players missing this game due to COVID protocols. 
uh, coming up against the Raiders tomorrow. Don't forget to follow Mo on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. Again, check out his work as well on Bleacher Report, where he's a senior NFL writer. You can also follow me on Twitter at LV Gully. Also, check out the website, silverandblacktonight.com. You can see all our shows there, including our Vegas show, which is on Sunday mornings as well. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we'll talk Raiders versus Browns. You're on Silver and Black Tonight, only here on the Mightier 1090. We will be right back with Silver and Black Tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. Scott and Mo on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. All right, welcome back to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. And we're going to go out on the newsmaker line and bring in our good friend Daryl Ryder. He covers the Cleveland Browns for the fan 92.3 in Cleveland. And this ever-changing and just snowballing story with the Browns and this COVID outbreak got worse of course Thursday it continues on Daryl I want to thanks for being with us I know what a crazy week it's been for you so thanks for just spending a couple minutes we're gonna we're gonna cut your interview short because you got so much to do but let me ask you this how we got here in the first place of course as of Thursday there was 20 players then of course the Case Keenum news all this other stuff came out what is this indicative of something that the Browns didn't do? What have you guys found out in reporting on this up uh, leading up to the game tomorrow there in Cleveland? Well, it started out with, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield and about 10 other starters testing positive for COVID and they went on the reserve list. And then Thursday came and this is where things get real sloppy. They ended up practicing Thursday afternoon. Turns out, We were all under the impression, okay, the worst is behind them, all Mm -hmm. clear, because there was no news of any positive tests. As it turns out, they didn't test before practice in the morning, which is that's why you've seen that is why you've seen a lot of Browns players in the last 24 hours take their social media and express their frustration because they were under the impression, okay, we're not testing on Thursday. They don't test. They practice. And then they just, someone decided, oh, you guys now have to test. And then following that practice, following those tests, Case Keenum, Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, others end up testing positive. And so now you have a gigantic mess on your hands because 
the cadence of you test in the morning if you you can't do anything or practice until your test results come in, that got wiped out, right? So now you have guys that were positive that were on a practice field together and potentially could have unintentionally spread the virus by being on the field together. I'm not sure what the science is, and, and I'm not going to speculate on that, but yeah, I mean, the NFL's got a mess on their hands with how they have handled this Brown situation this week, and we'll see even if they end up playing on Saturday at this point. So, Darrell, I don't know if you're 100% dialed into this, but Baker Mayfield expressed his frustration Thursday, basically said to the league, make up your damn mind about these protocols. Um, can you just shed a, a light on that and what he may mean by that, his expression on that, on that comment? Well, it just it goes back to what I just said about the, the testing cadence, right? They, mm -hmm. He tested positive earlier this week, right? So he should have been he should have gone in Friday, uh, Thursday morning to get tested again to see if he's he was negative because he's fully vaccinated, and and that right. didn't happen, right? And then the Browns ended up practicing. Then they said, "Oh yeah, gotta test everyone," and boom. So that's what he's referring to. And that is why he and other members of the Cleveland Browns are very much up in arms for a couple of reasons. One, uh, the ex potential exposure uh, to uh, teammates from those that were positive for the virus. And then also just the, the inconsistency, right? I mean, uh, Baker, uh, who is fully vaccinated, not really much else he can do, right, to be safe. I mean, Kevin Stefanski tested uh, positive as well and even got the booster shot and he's still positive what else is Kevin Stefanski supposed to do uh so I guess they whatever but yeah this whole thing's a mess and that's why a lot of Browns are not very happy Daryl Ryder from the fan 92.3 in Cleveland is our guest he's only with us a few minutes because he's got so much breaking news to go we got to get him out of here but Daryl before we let you go uh, the NFL Players Association, the N I mean, this is a nightmare for everybody involved, but the NFL clearly, who focuses on the green stuff that we put in our pockets, they, they this is a disaster. It's getting towards the, the end of the season, towards the playoffs, and there's a lot of playoff races still undecided. The NFLPA, obviously not happy with what's going on. What are you hearing out of the right. NFLPA and what's happening with what they want to do and their frustrations with the league, too? Well, the president of the NFLPA snaps the football to Baker Mayfield when Baker Mayfield's allowed the play. So uh, J.C. Treader uh, has his hands full right now because he has to balance two things here. He has to balance, you know, representing every player in the National Football League and also he is a member of the Cleveland Browns who are in the thick of a playoff race. And this, this game's important Saturday. Let's, let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. uh, the Browns are a full game in front of the Las Vegas Raiders. They have to beat the Raiders to, mean, to position themselves to get in a positive tiebreak situation, which they currently do not enjoy. They've got a difficult schedule down the stretch. They've got Green Bay on Christmas, then a trip to Pittsburgh before coming home to play the upstart Bengals, who they demolished earlier this season. Uh, to wrap up the regular season. So Treader's in a very difficult spot here. He's got to advocate for the Browns. He's got to advocate for every player in the National Football League. But this situation that occurred Thursday, I, I think, is uh, going to be something that will be talked about significantly behind closed doors because, quite frankly, it should have never happened. The Browns should have never taken the practice field Thursday without COVID testing, especially when you're talking about a team that entering the day 
had over 15 players mm. on reserve list. And as we talk now, that number is 20 plus. Wow, just incredible. Daryl, listen, I, I know you got to run. I appreciate it so much. You spending some time with us, and I know you're going to have a busy weekend. Uh, but thank you again for joining us, and we'll talk to you uh, on down the line. All right, my friend? Thanks for having me, guys. All right, take care. All right, there you go. Daryl Ryder from The Fan in Cleveland. And Mo, wow, just um, so much to unwrap here when you think about what's going on with, with uh, this Cleveland Brown situation and the COVID situation. I, you know, so many people now, the COVID situation in, in the second season, we've been dealing with this. They've had all these protocols, and now it seems like maybe that protocols have not been followed uh, and it's exploded in the face of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, Daryl just explained it right there, and that's why I wanted to get into the Baker Mayfield comment to see if it was uh, coincided with basically what the team in general is frustrated with with the league. And and I say this, it's it's it would have been it would have been clear if the league had followed a certain protocol through and through. But when you start to say, okay, we're going to do this, no, we're not going to do that, we're going to go back on this. Then you start getting people frustrated. Then you start playing with people's money because Blake, I didn't get to access Daryl, and I would have. But Baker Mayfield is playing for a contract, basically an extension in the offseason. So he obviously wants to get out there and play. He obviously wants his team to do well because that's a lot for him riding on the line. And it kind of messes, again, messes with his money and messes with his future. So when the NFL backtracks on some of these things, the players, I can understand why they get frustrated with it. Yeah, I agree, Mo. Okay, so now we look at this game, though, uh, and the Browns (laughs) obviously – decimated just completely decimated they've lost both quarterbacks their number one and number two quarterback and you wrote a piece up on vegasportstoday.com on thursday about this uh it, it might change a little bit mo but i want to get to your premise there which was hey yes the browns are missing these folks and now they're missing more but the raiders it's not like a given it's not like the raiders are just going to walk into cleveland i don't care who's out uh and just win right All right uh, I I told I'm totally there because after the first few positives, the first batch of positive of positive tests came out, or players moved to the reserve COVID nineteen list came out. I saw a lot of fans, and in the piece, Steve Weiss also said Raiders have no excuse not to win this game. Mm. And I paused for a minute. I'm thinking, have you not watched the Raiders over the past six weeks? <laughs> they they <laughs> like, oh. no seriously oh, like yeah. They've struggled to score. They haven't scored 17 points in five of their last six games. And this is in good weather or in a dome stadium at Allegiant Stadium. They haven't scored 17 points when weather's fine and against lesser teams like the Giants. They just can't put points on the board. They're down Darren Waller. Henry Ruggs no longer in the picture. So Derek Carr's only reliable pass catcher is Hunter Renfro. We watched Josh Jacobs fumble the ball against the Chiefs on the first play, and he's dancing around some of these some of these handoffs. The Raiders can't block very well up front, so how is this a gimme game for the Raiders and the Cleveland the Cleveland Browns? Whoever they have, as long as Nick <laughs> Chubb would have been playing or Giannis, they they can they play a physical brand of football. And the Raiders can't stop the run. They're one of the worst run def- they have one of the worst run defenses in the league. I believe they're twenty sixth league wide, so they can't stop the run. And on top of that, they can't run the ball. Yeah. So they don't match up well against a Cleveland Browns team that is a physical football team that, what do they do? Lo and behold, they run the ball well, and they stop the run. Jadavion Clowney, for, for all I know, now on the COVID-19 list, Miles Garrett. You know, So it, if those two guys are playing up front, 
and the Cleveland Browns can run the ball with Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson, they have a chance to beat the Raiders. This does not favor the Raiders in that in that sort of way. I believe draft odds, draft um, Kings has the odds. Raiders only favored by one point, which means this is a coin flip anyway. Yeah, it's a coin flip. And then you look at the weather, and you mentioned the weather in your piece, right? So so I'm downstate, but up in Cleveland, in North Ohio, the weather's not going to be good. You're up by the lake there, the high, high prediction of winds and some rain. Uh, this is going to be the kind of game where you're going to have to run the ball. And even though the Browns quarterback is TBD at this point as we're speaking, um, they do have Chubb. They can run the ball, right? And so the Raiders haven't been able to prove that they can run the ball, to your point about Josh Jacobs and his inability to kind of get going. Josh Jacobs still does not have a 100-yard game on the season. Um, I saw some fans, like, marveling at that. They didn't realize that that was the case, right? So the Raiders just have had to, have not been able to do it. So you have the elements there, too. And in a game where the where the the uh, the Browns have over 20, 25 people that are going to be on this COVID list, maybe even more by the time they kick off, uh, it, yes, there's attrition there. But, man, in an ugly game, all you got to do is run the ball and win it in the trenches. Dare I say it, Scott? I'm going to say it for the third straight week. A slugfest. There we go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It just, like I said, going back to that, the Raiders have lost their physical identity long ago. Like this is no longer. I remember the Raiders of the past, 2008 when Gruden first got there, and even before that, the Raiders were able to just bully you in the trenches and run the ball down your throat. They're no longer that. They have the number two passing attack in the league. They're more of a finesse team now. They rely on throwing the ball downfield with Derek Carr and his arm, and I get that because he's. He's their best offensive player, but when you don't have a Darren Waller, when you don't have Henry Ruggs anymore, that's starting to sputter, and that's why they struggle to score points, and especially with their offensive line struggling to run block and pass block. What do you really have? The Ra- Again, the Raiders have scored, haven't scored 17 points in five of their last six games. They're barely scoring two touchdowns a game. Yeah. So they don't really have a huge advantage against anyone left on the schedule. No, and and the Raiders too. And you brought up a question. You brought up a point there, Mo, and I want to hit on this because I, I think it's significant. I hear people say, "Look, this doesn't have to be a complete teardown of the roster." And in some ways, I agree. Okay, but back to the offense. Who do you have? Well, people say Derek Carr. Okay, well, we don't know if he's going to be back. Darren Waller. By the way, Darren Waller. How many times has he been injured this season and missed games? Right. So he's not staying on the field. As good as the man can be, he's not staying on the field. We already talked about Josh Jacobs. You lost your top wide receiver. Uh, You have Brian Edwards, who's not anywhere near. He had those flashes of brilliance early in the season when everybody was feeling kumbaya and they were winning. But he has not shown that consistently. So that's, you know, to me, now you're getting to year three. If you haven't proven it, I'm a little skeptical. I'll be honest, right? I like Brian Edwards. I'm skeptical. The only guy who's shown out has been Hunter Renfro. Right, which you called uh, on draft night, if I recall, that he was going to be the goat. So, um, so, so I look at that offense and I say, "Wow, there's not as much there as you thought." Now, parts on the offensive line, of course, the left side done pretty well. Andre James has has improved over time, and so I look at the offense, Mo, and I'm thinking to myself, "You were a top ten offense last year. You blew up the offensive line. Now you've gone south." What do they really have? And maybe not just the decision we talked about in the first segment around Josh Jacobs and, and, and uh, Derek Carr, but maybe there's a lot of decisions to make because you have to then decide, are you going to give Darren Waller that coin? Are you going to give him the money? There's no question he's one of the best tight ends when he's playing in the league, but is there a consistency and an and a, and a injury issue there as well? There's a lot of questions. 
Yeah, you ran down the gamut right there. And I'll add on to that. We, we've realized that maybe Foster Moreau is not as good as a lot of fans thought he was. Because a lot of people thought that the Rays could run a lot of two tight end sets with Darren Wall and Foster Moreau if there were injuries at wide receiver. Turns out he he's not showing up as much as we thought. He had that one game, good game against the Philadelphia Eagles. But other than that, he's been dis- he's been a disappointing blocker, which is surprising because yes. that's how he built his reputation at LSU. Uh, the other thing I want to bring up is, is Kenyon Drake going to be back? Because the yeah. Rays, um, I mean, they still can get rid of him before, I, I believe, before the third day of the next uh, calendar year of the NFL season and still save about, I think, $2.5 million guaranteed money. So they don't have to bring him back after he had his uh, season-ending injury. So there are just questions, as you said, all around this offense. I believe, you don't, again, you don't have to tear down this team, and I think that comment goes more to the defense. I yeah. would keep building that defense because the core of that defense is solid. It's the offense that you're going to have to basically rebuild. Which is so interesting because when we started talking on this show, and this show went on the air here in Southern California on the Mighty 1090 back in August – Everybody was saying, well, we don't have to worry about the offense. We just have to worry about the defense, right? So now they got the defense trending. I mean, even though the defense has sort of faltered towards the end here because they've been on the field so much, I think that's primarily why. And they have some gaps talent-wise. But they have improved, and they have shown that there is some talent there. Even though uh, you have Max Crosby, who has done very well but has not put up the sack numbers. I mean, pressures are great. But that's not going to get you to be an AP Pro Bowler. Uh, and you have Ngakwe and these guys who are doing okay. They're doing fine. Uh, but there's still question marks there. But that offense, everybody was just giving it a pass. You and I were raising the red flag from the beginning about the offensive line. Parts of that have gelled over time. So I think going into this, this draft, this offseason, when they're looking at free agents, when they're looking at the type of coach that they're going to go hire, they're going to have to find somebody who's got that offensive line. And if that person's smart, I don't know, they might keep Gus Bradley or they might get somebody uh, that, that is a good defensive coordinator who, who can use the talent already on the roster like Bradley has been able to do, I think. Um, but, but, Mo, I look at this and I don't envy Mark Davis at this point. Yeah, I don't envy him, but he has to step it up and make the right decisions, the right, the right football decisions, because it's going to boil down to his decisions this offseason, what he does, who's his GM, and who are they going to hire a head coach, because essentially that's going to that's gonna steer the trajectory of this football team and the franchise. But I just want to touch on something real quick with the offense is you, I think you have to start it building it from the offensive line out. And, mm-hmm, and you mm-hmm. can get a wide receiver. A piece is, I have a piece coming out on Bleacher Report that suggests whether it should go at wide receiver. I have an idea. If they keep, if they were to keep Derek Carr, I think there's a wide receiver that's going to be available that they can, he can immediately step in and be a number one guy. There's no guessing because as, as we as you mentioned, Brian Edwards has been disappointing. I mean, he's had a chance to step up with all the absences in their pass catching group. And he just hasn't done it. So I think the Raiders should just go out and get a proven number one wide receiver, and there will be one or two of those guys available in for agency that again that piece will come out soon but um as far as that offensive line i think you have you may have to reconstruct it specifically and we talked about this on the right side and that left guard if you can do that you maybe get the running game back whoever is back there if josh jacobs is back or not if Kenyon drake is back or not you get the run game back and you can have some balance whether Derek carr is back or not yeah no question listen the nfl you win in the trenches you have to have good offensive line and you have to have good defensive line okay the defensive line's getting there they they still have they need some pieces there's no question but if Ngakwe's back and he plays like he's played this year crosby continues to improve they do and they they do some stuff inside to get better uh then 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 they're good there and they can start to build there but the offensive line absolutely has to be the priority 
and you're right. You don't have to go out and get the, all these big names, but there is some guys out there. There is some folks in the draft who I think can help. Running back, look, t- today you want a running back who's going to do uh, good for you for two, three, if you're lucky, four years, and then you move on. So hopefully they'll be able to do that. But it's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens tomorrow in Cleveland, Mo. Uh, this is a real wild card game uh, with all the COVID stuff, but we'll see. The Raiders, I'm sure, will not make it uh, boring for us as we watch. Uh, but we're uh, we're interested to see what happens. We'll see how this team reacts after the loss in Kansas City. All right, man. Well, that's going to do it for us, man. We're already at the end of the show. Uh, watch the game tomorrow. We will be back on Sunday morning to talk about the game that was on Saturday. You can check us out on the Fan 92 and a half in Las Vegas, as well as the Bet 1140. Mo, man, thanks for being with me, man, and we'll talk to you on Sunday. Talk to you on Sunday, and maybe the Raiders will keep their playoff folks alive and tease their <laughs> fan base a little more. Oh, cruel, <laughs> cruel. All right. Well, we'll see how it all goes tomorrow in Cleveland. Crazy times. Uh, maybe it'll be a crazy game. It'll be a shootout, I think, like most said. All right. For Momo, I am Scott Branson. This is Silver and Black Tonight. Check out silverandblacktonight.com. Follow Mo on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. I am at LV Goalie. Thanks for being with us, Raider Nation. We'll be back with you next week here on the Mightier 1090. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.